Thank you, Jason. Jason was our intern here, and he's been helping with the new Harker Heights church plant, so I was teasing him that the prodigal has come home. <laughs> he's just here for today, though. He's still with the church plant, and we're excited about that. Glad to have him with us today, though. Thanks for uh, giving Chris a break. I think Chris is just pretending to be a regular person today at church. He's out there somewhere. Um, we're in the middle of a series where we're just looking at community life. So we're doing a few topical sermons from different scriptures, looking at community life. We've been doing it over the last few weeks. Um, and today, we're looking at the idea that kids need grace. We're going to be talking about parenting. So as I get these notes in order, I want to share a story with you that I heard, man, years ago. I'm not sure where I first heard this, um, but it's a story about a man in a grocery store with one of his kids. So he's trying to go shopping He's got a little kid in the shopping cart with him, sitting in the little you know, basket up front. Um, and this guy is just kind of repeatedly saying things over and over again. He's saying, it's going to be okay, Billy. Everything is going to be all right, Billy. Billy, calm down. Billy, it's going to be okay. And, and while he's saying this, his, his child is kind of losing his mind, having a temper tantrum, screaming, yelling, but he's just persistent. Billy, it's going to be okay. Billy, it's going to be all right. It's okay. Calm down, Billy. And he's just saying it over and over again. And this older grandma sees him, and she can't help herself. She comes over and just says, I I just want to tell you how encouraging it is to see how patient you are there with little Billy, how you're being so kind to little Billy. That's really a beautiful thing. And and the guy's like, ma'am, I'm Billy. Um, And... I've always loved that story because I've, I've viscerally felt that story myself. Um, I'm a parent. If you're a parent, you know what that's like. Um, the title of the sermon today is Kids Need Grace, but really more than that, parents need grace, right? We need God's help. We had a baby dedication during the 9 o'clock service earlier this morning, and one of the things that we do during a baby dedication is it's a way of corporately saying, God, we need your help. We cannot do this. This is a spiritual task. This isn't just like brushing teeth or tying shoes. Raising children is a huge and monumental thing, and we all need help. Um, now, this is an interesting time for me to preach on this subject. Uh, number one, my nest just emptied, right? So um, we just sent off our last kid to college a couple of weeks ago. And then, yeah, amen, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's kind of sad, really. But yeah, we're, we're trying to celebrate. Um, so our, our parenting at one level is done, right? And then I found out that my oldest is pregnant. We're kind of around the same time. So now we're moving into that same kind of, or that new category of, of grandparenting. Um, but another thing that's happened, uh, my, my mentor, someone who is really a father figure in my life, just died. And so I was at the funeral yesterday. It was the pastor of our founding church. So there's a big church in Temple. Uh, Temple's this kind of rough city on the other side of the county. And that church sent us out, right? We had a bunch of people that were commuting from Colleen to the Temple Church, and I was on staff there, and they, they said, Dave, take this group, and we're going to go start a new church in, uh, in Colleen. And so they, they sent us out. They gave us some money. They gave us some people, started a new church here 13 years ago. So that's kind of how Grace Bible Church came to be. Um, but more than just working on staff with this guy, uh, the senior pastor, Gary DeSalvo, um, I started going to that church when I was 11 years old. So I went to that church from the, from the age of 11 to 17, and it took about that long for the gospel to, to finally kind of get into my head and heart, and I came to Christ at the age of 17. So I sat under his preaching for many years. 
then I became a youth intern there. I worked as a youth pastor there. I went off to seminary. I came back again later as a children and family pastor. So worked with him for many years. Grew up under his teaching as, as a teenager. Um, and he had a profound impact on my life. And, and so I'm going to be talking about um, parenting today. But I want you to understand that I grew up in a broken home. And what, what helped me to grow up was the church. Right, so simultaneously, I'm talking to you parents who have kids in your home, and I'm saying, this is what it looks like, according to Scripture, to parent your children. But my experience was my parents struggled, and my home was fractured, and, and my dear mother brought me into a Christian church and brought in the spiritual influence of spiritual parents. And so I don't want you to misunderstand today, if you are single or if you are childless, that you have a profound responsibility as a part of the body of Christ. I'm one of those people who was spiritually parented, who was like a spiritual orphan who was influenced profoundly by a local church. And so please don't miss that I'm not just talking to parents. I'm talking to the church. I'm talking to the body of Christ. You have this incredible opportunity to influence the next generation. Um, Also, if we have any deacons, if we could turn down the air conditioning, that would be really helpful. Is it just me? Am I just freaking out because I just went to a funeral yesterday? I don't know if it's like emotions or what, but I feel really hot. Um, so if our deacons could, could check on the thermostats for me, that'd be great. Actually, I'll check this one so you don't have to walk up and look at it. <laughs> there are others in the back of the room, but this one, it's already on 68. Okay, I should be fine. Um, so anyway, we, we had the funeral yesterday. Gary DeSalvo passed away, and I, I think I've shared this with you guys before. I'm not I'm not like a super emotional person. I don't cry a whole lot. I think I cried for like two hours yesterday. It's like a 17-hour funeral. Um, and for like two hours, of th- that was a joke. It wasn't really 17 hours. But it was a really long funeral. I just, lots of crying. So I feel like in this kind of weird state right now, I don't know if I'm going to like fall off the stage or just start sobbing. I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm just going to apologize up front. I don't know. I'm, I should be fine. But if you, know, if, if you think I'm losing it, it'll be okay. We'll just move on. Things are going to be fine. We're going to work our way through this together. Um, as we look at this topic, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 is going to be kind of our launching pad. I'm going to look at a bunch of other verses in Proverbs. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Uh, I'll read a little bit of the context around there to help us out. Um, we're going to jump around and look at other Proverbs and other parts of the book as well. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some Bibles under the chairs. It's page 528. If you want to grab one of those black Bibles you see there. Page 528. And if you don't have a Bible at home, keep that. We, we'd love you to start reading your own Bible. We think that would be awesome. So you can keep that and we'll restock the chairs there. So page 528, Proverbs 3. The idea here is that kids need grace. And as I said, we really, we need grace. The body of Christ needs grace. We want to give that grace to the next generation. So let me just back up to um, verse 3. So Proverbs 3, verse 3. Let not steadfast love, this is um, the Old Testament word for, for grace and mercy. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. The Proverbs here is calling us to faith in God. Trusting in God, not trusting in ourselves. And that's, that's the essence of what we want to pass on 
to the next generation, that God is trustworthy, that God is good. Um, I forgot to mention also, as I'm thinking about my mentor, Gary, uh, he was an LSU Tiger fan, and he was really kind of obnoxious about it. Um, so all of the missionaries, former staff like myself, current staff, elders, deacons of the church, all wore these um, gold and purple ties yesterday. Um, so I'm not wearing that for you today. But I did try to approximate gold and purple. This is almost purple. It's like the closest thing to purple I could wear. Um, so I just wanted to honor him with, with what I'm wearing today. So kind of gold, kind of purple. It's the best I could do. My wife's wearing gold as well. So we're, you know... We're begrudgingly honoring him in LSU today. He was an obnoxious LSU Tigers fan. Um, but, but the thing that I'm most thankful for in his life were, were the important central things, right? He loved his family, he loved Jesus, and he just relentlessly preached the Bible year after year. And he's had an incredible impact on that church, on my life, by a degree of separation on you guys through our ministry here, helping to found this church. And so we just want to Pray for that church as they're grieving because they've lost their pastor of, of like 38 years now. Um, but also pray for us that, that we would kind of keep the ball going, right? Like that we would pick it up and we would keep carrying it to the next generation. That, that's what we're doing here. And that's what God's people have been doing for the last 2,000 years since the resurrection of Christ. So let's pray for our time. God, we thank you for your word. Um, we thank you that we can grow and we can be directed uh, as you teach us through it. I thank you for Gary. I thank you for the profound impact that he has had on my life personally. Um, God, I thank you that you love us. We see that most clearly in Jesus. We see that Jesus gave himself for us, that he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. And that gives us hope. That allows us to keep going. But Lord, we also see it in faithful people. We see it in our, our parents who loved us, uncles and aunts, grandparents who had an impact on our lives. We see it in Sunday school teachers. We see it in pastors and elders and and these people who have influenced us, school teachers, principals, um, neighbors, God, we thank you for all the many influences on our lives. And God, will you make us those kinds of people? Will you teach us how to be those that influence the next generation for you, that stand in the gap, that help those that are spiritual orphans, that are struggling, that are hurting? Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we look at the text... Um, kind of quick outline is that as we think about the grace that kids need, the first grace that we want to pass on is the grace of confidence. So we're going to look at that at the key verses that I already read. And then we want to look at the idea that kids need the grace of discipline. Kids need discipline. They need training and direction, discipline. And then finally, we're going to look at the, the way that kids need the discipline of purpose. We need to give them a purpose. Um, we don't want to just create more consumers in our society, but we want to create people with purpose who will impact the world around them. So the first thing that we want to think about, well, before we go to this, I have a second introduction. Okay, second introduction. This was really interesting. Um, this is a picture of someone very famous, cute baby, right? Pretty cute, reasonably cute. It's an old picture, so maybe you think it's weird. Um, I would argue that by objective standards, this is a cute baby. This, this baby is Adolf Hitler, for real. That's Adolf Hitler. I googled it, and Google's always right. That is Adolf Hitler, and, and here's the object lesson. Adolf Hitler was an adorable little kid. He's an adorable little child. And so what we need to understand is, is that human beings have a profound ability to go bad. Profound ability to go bad. And one of the things we, can, we need to understand, I think, as parents and as those who influence the next generation, is often we excuse things when kids are little, 
and we think, oh, it's so cute, who cares? And then when it's out of control and they're a teenager, we try to clamp down. And I would say we're, we're getting that exactly backwards. So one of the things I think our culture is confused about is we spoil little ones instead of training them and raising them and teaching them. And then when they're big enough and smart enough to frankly not be able to be controlled by us any longer, then we're like, oh no, there's something wrong with this kid. So I just want to encourage you to just be thinking about that. Adolf Hitler was an adorable little baby, and every baby is adorable, right? But still, we need to lead them. Still, we need to influence them. Still, we need to give them God's grace to help them be everything God has called them to be. So that's the responsibility that we have. If you're a parent, God has deputized you. You don't want to abdicate that responsibility. You don't want to give that to somebody else. You want to recognize that, that you are the one that God has charged with raising them. Now, a smart parent will introduce other healthy, godly, responsible influences into their child's life as well. And so, as I talked about earlier, you know, I, I grew up from a broken home, had a lot of issues, and I had a mom who, by God's grace, brought me into a church and said she needed the help of God's people to raise this son. And so I want to give thanks for that mom that did that as I give thanks for God's people who influenced me gratefully, uh, greatly. But we just got to recognize that it's our job as parents to influence the next generation. It's our God, job as God's people to help out those parents as well. So the first thing that we want to give is the grace of confidence. So we're going to look at confidence, discipline, and purpose. And the first one is confidence. So again, at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. And so it starts with trust. This is at the center of what it means to be God's people, is a relationship of trust with God. Uh, The other Bible word for trust is faith. And so what that means is that you're trusting in Him, and you're not trusting in yourself. You're saying, God is the one who will save me and direct me and lead me and love me, and I should trust in him and not trust in my own flesh. Last week, we looked at Galatians 2, and we talked about the idea of like walking a straight path, and we talked about how human beings have a profound ability to say, this is the way I should go, and then rebel against it. And so we need God to change our hearts from the inside out, and that starts with trust. And so I just want to say, first off, where all this starts is parents, spiritual aunts and uncles in the body of Christ, you have to have a relationship of trust with God before you can pass on that confidence and that trust to the next generation. So my first question to you is, do you trust in Jesus or are you trusting in your sin? Do you trust in Jesus or are you trusting in your own religiosity? Like, I got my life together. I'm I'm disciplined. I'm ordered. I'm fine. I don't need God because I'm following all the rules myself. Two ways that people go wrong and don't trust in God and trust in themselves. One is the road of religion, and one is the road of rebellion. You have to repent from rebellion. You also have to repent from religion. Say, I'm not good enough to get it together myself, and this sin isn't good enough to save me. I've got to trust in God. I've got to follow Him. And that's where it all starts. It starts with our personal relationship with Jesus. So I would encourage you to consider, what is it you're trusting in? Are you trusting in yourself? Trusting in sin? Trusting in something else? Are you trusting... In God. So it starts with trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. So what this is saying is on your own, you're going to fall down. Your path's not going to be straight. You're going to walk in the wrong direction. But if you trust in God, he's going to make straight your paths. He's going to guide you. And that gives you confidence. That gives you strength. 
There's another proverb uh, that I want to share with you. This is at the end of chapter 3. So if you jump down to the end of chapter 3, verse 21, I'll read verse 21 through 26. It kind of picks up the path and the walking image. We talked about that walking image a lot last week from Galatians. So starting in verse 21, it says, My son, don't lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. Do you hear that? He's continuing the walking metaphor that we already started, and he's like, this is what it looks like to be secure in life. You think security is having enough money in the bank. You think security is finding the right person. But he says here, as you pursue God, as you trust in Him, then you're going to have security in life. And all those other things are secondary. He says, trust the Lord. Then you'll walk securely. Verse 24, if you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence. Is the Lord your confidence? Or is your confidence in something else? Is your confidence in the addiction that's got a grip on your heart right now? Or is your confidence in your own strength, how smart you are that you've figured it out, you've beat life? Or is your confidence in the Lord? It says, verse 26, For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Uh, an image I like to think of when I, when I think about the secure footing and, and not stumbling is the mountain goat. Any of you ever seen a mountain goat? Mountain goats are incredible. My wife and I love to go to the mountains in Colorado. And sometimes you'll be out in the mountains and you'll look up and just there's like this goat standing on the side of a cliff. And you're like, How, what is he even standing on? Like it's bizarre. They have this amazing ability to climb and jump and get on crazy stuff. I, we especially love the mountain goat in our family because our son is like part mountain goat, right? So it's like a sweet memory. You know, whenever we as a family would go hiking or go for a walk, he just couldn't help but like, swing on things and jump on stuff and jump over a wall and just do do crazy stuff and so that's a a fun reminder to me like okay I'm kind of old and rickety but spiritually speaking I can be this mountain goat for the Lord right like if I if I entrust myself to Jesus he can he can make my feet secure he can give me a sense of confidence that was one of the that was one of the most amazing things that, that my mentor pastor Gary DeSalvo passed on to me, he had this incredible confidence. It could, be, it could be argued that some of that was just uh, swagger because he was like an Italian uh, Cajun from New Orleans, you know? So, so some of that's probably cultural. Some of that's probably his own temperament. But, but he, he just poured himself into other people. We have that ability with the next generation to give confidence. As we trust in the Lord and we find security in the Lord in our own life, that can't help but be transferred to the next generation. One of the particular things that uh, Gary did for me that was incredible, um, and I just want you to get this vision of, of how much your words can impact the next generation. I remember at one particular time when I was really struggling because of, uh, just trying to say this in general, kind of being abandoned by a lot of my family, uh, just pouring out my heart to him, being really broken over that. Um, his son was maybe 12 at the time, and I'm like 19. I'm kind of an, like an intern at the church helping out with the youth group. And he just said this simple thing to me. He's like, you know what, Dave? Like, if my son grows up to be like you, I'd be really proud of him. And it was just like a simple sentence, right? But that changed the direction of my life. Like, at a point where I had no confidence, where I was kind of feeling like giving up, this person who loved Jesus said, you know what, you're, you're going to be okay. You, you can do this. Keep going. 
And I want to give you that vision that you have the ability to speak those kinds of words into people's lives. Don't forget that. Don't leave those things unsaid. You have this incredible ability to speak life and encouragement and spiritual confidence into others. But again, it starts with you having that spiritual confidence. Do you have that confidence? Are you trusting in the Lord? Is he making your path straight? And as you trust in him, then you're going to have that ability to invest that in others, to invest that in the next generation. So as we think about the directing of our paths, I want to kind of go back, just reference last week. Um, if you didn't get to hear it, I encourage you to look at that. But, but in Galatians, it's this idea that as we're fixed on the gospel, as we're fixed on Jesus, then he puts this compass within our heart, right? There's this contrast made throughout the scripture of the, the old covenant is like the law and the straight path kind of being shown to us from the outside. But the new covenant is that law is written on our heart. Like there's a spiritual transformation where as we trust in Jesus, he comes and lives inside us. And this, the Holy Spirit says, go this way. Like, no, don't go that way. Go this way, right? And then you've got the Spirit indwelling you. And it's this incredible gift of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus. And so one of the things that I think is really important for us to understand as parents, but also as leaders in any way, if you're a classroom teacher, uh, if you're a commander, whatever you are, is you need to be able to distinguish between your house law and God's law. You need to have the humility to be able to admit that they are two different things, right? Here's a real simple example is uh, we would make our kids make their bed. But our kids knew that that was not in the Bible, okay? Your kids need to know the difference, right? Like if you merge that too much in your life, like this is what it means to obey God is to do everything I say and you don't, you don't kind of separate that out for them a little bit, they're going to be spiritually confused. And again, this, this can happen in every culture, right? What we do is we merge ourselves in the authority that we've been temporarily granted by God. We merge that too much with God's authority. We have to make that separation and say, yeah, I've been given authority. It's my job to lead you. And, and while you're under my authority, we're going to do it this way. But that's, it's not in the Bible. It's just what God's told me to do. Hey, I'm leading you this way, and this is how we're going to go. For your good and for my sanity, we're going to do things this way, right? But that's not the same thing as the Ten Commandments. It's not the same thing as loving God and loving people, right? There's this whole other level of, of God's direction and then our, our house law, how we run things. Right? You've got to separate those things out. Can you distinguish that? Or is it confused in your own mind? Right? Do you think like, oh, no, every, every decision I make is right? Like you've got to be able to, another way of saying this in the preaching world is we say, we have to distinguish between uh, what we're proclaiming from the Scriptures is thus saith the Lord, this is what God tells us to do. And then here is one application. We use the word application a lot. You've probably heard me say that. Here's an application of what that could look like in your life. It's up to the Holy Spirit to show you specifically how to work that out in your life. But I'll give you examples. I'll say this is a, a way this could look. Well, when you're a parent or when you're a leader or when you're a classroom teacher, you just kind of have to say, this is how we're doing it. Come on, we're going this way. But you've got to distinguish it. We're going this way, but it's not the same thing as God's law. There's house law and there's God's law. Uh, one of the other things that we need to do to pass this on to the next generation is just give them God's word, Right? Give them God's word. Trust in the Lord yourself. As you trust in the Lord yourself, you're going to pass on to the next generation that he's the one that they need to run to. The way my mentor used to say this is a parent's job is to transfer dependence from yourself as parent to God. Like that's maturity. That's what it means to grow up. 
is, is you're not trusting in your parents as much anymore and now you're trusting more directly in God himself. So how are you going to do that? Well, you're going to teach them God's word. You're going to pray for them. You're going to practice dependence on God yourself. One of the things that this passage talked about is your sleep being sweet. Um, I want to say a couple things about this. We have a community where there's a lot of sleep disorders, right? A lot of hyper-alertness, a lot of struggle. And I want to first of all say thank you for those of you that are soldiers who have given of yourself to protect civilians like me. I want to thank you for that. And so recognize, sometimes there's biological, chemical components there where, where you need to get help, right? You need to see a psychiatrist or see a doctor to get help sleeping. And some of that comes out of the hard physical things you've been through, the horrors that you've seen. I recognize that. But I want to say, get that help you need, right? Because one of the marks of trusting in the Lord is being able to rest. One of the marks that it points out in Proverbs, I'll read it again at the end of Proverbs uh, verse three, or chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 24, it says, If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence. Can you rest? One of the ancient ways of practicing rest is what we call Sabbath. All Christians disagree on it, so I'm not here to argue for a certain way to, to do Sabbath, right? But do you have resting rhythms built into your life where you are modeling to the next generation, I can rest, I trust God. Do you have any kind of pattern of that in your life that's discernible at all? Like, can the, could the kids see it? Like, if I interviewed your children, would they see any pattern in your life? One of the great ways to model a pattern of trusting in the Lord is the, the daily quiet time. Uh, the, the idea of saying, you know what, instead of just getting up out of bed and scrolling through Facebook, what if I pray first? What if I read the Scripture for a little while first? What if I remind myself that I can trust in God? What if that became such a concrete pattern in your life that your kids could see it and that they had this, this culture that they could imitate? Again, you want to be careful to, to say, you know, the way I do it is not the only way to do it, but, but man, that's a beautiful legacy to pass on to your kids. One of the couples that helped us found the church 13 years ago, family named the O'Neills. I remember uh, Trisha O'Neill talking about how when her son started reading the Bible on his own, he would go downstairs and sit in the chair that he always saw his dad sitting in and reading his Bible. And like, he was smart enough to know that's not the only chair that Bible reading can take place in, right? But he's just following the pattern that's been laid out for him, this pattern of trusting in the Lord. Are you demonstrating those patterns in your life? I go to the Lord. I rest. My, my sleep is sweet because I'm trusting in Him, not trusting myself. If you can never rest, it's because you're thinking you're the one keeping the universe spinning, right? But if you can begin building these habits of trusting in the Lord, your sleep will be sweet and you'll begin modeling to others what it means that He makes your, your direction. He makes your path secure. That's part of what we want to pass on to the next generation. A um, couple of uh, things to recommend to, to communicate, to teach the Bible to your kids. Um, one, just read the Bible to your kids, right? That, that's simple. Um, a little sidebar on that is they've done incredible research now on education. Reading to your kids has an incredible impact on their ability to process information and learn. Um, we've, we've transferred over the last hundred years so much to like trying to get kids to read. We don't read to them 
as much anymore, but reading to them, just kids listening to stuff is really good for them. It's really good for their brain. All kinds of new research on that would encourage you. And then, because I'm a preacher, I would say, and read the Bible, right? Don't just read People magazine, but read the Bible to them, and that will have a profound impact of helping them to understand who God is. And there are a few uh, Bible, like story Bibles for kids I would recommend. One that really helped me, this was even after I went to seminary. I still struggled to see all the connections between Old Testament and Jesus. And there's a a story Bible called the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. Really helpful. Um, So encourage you all to read that. Read that to your kids. It's a really good brand. There's another one called the Big Picture Story Bible by David Helm. It's another good one. These story Bibles do just a good job connecting like, okay, Jesus actually is connected to the Old Testament, helping you see the big picture. Um, And then there's ones we use in our elementary program, uh, and that's done by the Gospel Project, and they have multiple, like for every age group. The Gospel Project does a lot of different story Bibles, so recommend that whole set of them as well. Um, but those are good ways, again, to pass on this confidence. We want to give the, the grace of confidence to the next generation, not fear. Um, th- there's enough reasons for us to be fearful, right? Our, our uh, last 10 years or so, maybe even 20 years, our movies and books have been obsessed with zombies. Have you all noticed that? A lot of weird apocalyptic stuff and a lot of zombie literature. And I just want to affirm that in our culture and say, you know what? In a sense, spiritually speaking, the world is full of zombies. And if you're going to raise children, you're making a stand spiritually. And you're saying, yeah, the world is crazy and falling apart. It is full of zombies. But I'm going to trust the Lord. And He's going to make my footsteps secure. And I can pass on that trust to the next generation. Psalm 127 is the psalm we always read during a baby dedication. It says that children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. You're preparing children to be shot out. We'll come back to that again at the end. I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry, nonlinear brain. Okay. The next one that we want to look at is giving the grace of discipline. Giving the grace of discipline. Look at verse 11. Giving the grace of discipline. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son, in whom he delights. Discipline and delight go together. Do you see that? Don't despise the Lord's discipline. He does this because he delights in you. Those go together. In our culture, too often we we separate it out and we're like, well, I could either be a a delight parent or I could be a disciplined parent. Which one am I going to be, right? I grew up without a lot of structure, so it would have been easy for me to swing hard and go, my kids need structure because I had no structure, right? Some of you grew up with too much structure. Your parents were harsh, and so you want to run the other way, and you just want to be best friend parent, right? The Scripture says that delight and discipline goes together. Will you please hold that together? Because that's the biblical worldview. When we spin off and we do one or the other, we're, we're not representing the God of the Bible. God of the Bible says we need discipline, and He gives it to us because He delights in us. Now, wh- now what is discipline? Uh, discipline is training. I think one of the best ways to understand this is if you've ever played a sport, you know you had to do hard things to get better, right? It's painful, but it's training. The point is not the pain, right? Discipline's not just punishment and pain. Discipline is training you in a particular direction. Read the whole book of Proverbs, and it's clear that it's this overarching concept of training in the way that we are to go. And a lot of that is verbal. A lot of that is direction. A lot of that is instruction. The other analogy is uh, music. Any of you ever played a musical instrument? You ever sung in a choir? You had to practice, right? It took sacrifice. It, it takes pain. It takes difficulty. That's what discipline is. Discipline is training. And so we need to understand that. It's something we're losing as a culture. I feel like more and more we're a culture where we just think, 
man, life should be pain-free and easy and we're just going to float along, right? Not much is going to happen in your life if you just float. God calls us to discipline and he calls us to that because he delights in us. Now we're going to talk about some controversial stuff here because discipline biblically is not just instruction. It's not just direction, but it also includes what Proverbs talks about as the rod, okay? Um, So I just want to say up front, number one, trigger warning, I'm sorry. Uh, Number two, I also want to acknowledge that a lot of you will disagree with what I'm saying. I love you. It's okay. It's all right, right? Like, I don't feel like you, you have to leave this church if you don't agree with everything I say. I want to try to appeal to you. I want to try to make a case that I think this is biblical and it makes sense. And so I just kind of want to give that caveat. It's okay. You don't have to agree with everything I say, but would encourage you to at least listen and consider it. Consider the, the biblical worldview and consider the degree to which kind of pop psychology is, has infiltrated how we see the world. Um, one other thing I want to clarify too, the book of Proverbs is what we call wisdom literature. And so when we read the Bible, when we study the Bible, we have to do uh, genre identification, pardon my French. Uh, genre is kind of the, the classification of literature, right? So when you read a history section of the Bible, you think of it as history. And when you read poetry, you, th- you think of it as poetry. And so Proverbs has a lot of poetry and it's a lot of wisdom literature. So the way I would describe this is it's not the same thing as the Ten Commandments saying do not murder. It's not the same level. It's like a next level down, right? So you want to obey the Ten Commandments, do not murder. Here are some practical ways to obey that in your everyday life. So it's like all things being equal, these are good ideas. So the rod scripturally is physical discipline, what we would call corporal punishment. And I would say we have to understand this and filter this through the idea of that doesn't mean just violence. And I think that's where kind of modern psychology misunderstands this. Modern psychology thinks of the rod or physical discipline or what we would call spanking a lot of times in our culture as just violent people lashing out in anger. That's not the biblical understanding of the rod. So we'll jump to, you don't have to look this up, but Colossians. Colossians says, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not provoke your children to to anger, but instead raise them in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. So Colossians says, there's, there's a way to discipline your children without provoking them to anger, without enraging them, without making them miserable, right? So discipline doesn't mean anger. Discipline doesn't mean lashing out. That's not what it means, okay? Clear? So let's read some of the scary verses now. Okay, Proverbs thirteen twenty four says this, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but who, he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 22.15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs 23.13 and 14 Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. So we got to kind of back up and say, what does the rod mean? What is the rod? Well, there there are three levels of meaning of what the rod is. Three levels of meaning. The first is a scepter. The first is the rod as a king's scepter. That's one of the ways the Bible would use this word. A scepter. It's a symbol of authority, right? We don't have a lot of kings in our modern world, so we don't really think of it this way. Another way to think about that might be a judge's gavel. You know how the judge has like this hammer? It's like a symbol of authority or an officer's badge. 
So here's what I want you to understand. When you think about the rod, number one interpretation is remember, you've been deputized. You've been given a badge. It's your authority to lead your child. So more and more now, um, corporal punishment is being forbidden or made illegal in schools and in public places. It's still technically legal for parents to administer corporal punishment, uh, you know, as long as it's, I think the words are not excessive, as long as it's reasonable, right, as long as it's not abuse. Um, So corporal punishment is still legal in our country and in all 50 states, but more and more it's being made illegal like in schools and stuff. And part of the Part of the understanding of that is, is only the parent has been deputized. Only the parent has been given the scepter to, to lead their, their child in this way. So um, to go back to the illustration I was talking about before, I was a spiritual orphan. I was raised by the church, uh, but no Sunday school teacher ever spanked me. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. That's, we're not going there, okay? Um, but I am saying that it is a tool maybe that could be used by parents. It could be wise for parents to use that. The second way that we can understand the word rod is like a shepherd's staff. Um, so it's another word for shepherd staff. There are two words in Psalm 23, rod and staff, but those words in Hebrew, two different words, but they can be used interchangeably, right? So the idea with the shepherd is he's got the staff and he'll kind of lead his sheep, you know, he'll kind of hook them and pull them this way or push them that way. It's not like he's just like whacking them over and over again in anger, right? He's directing. So that's another way to understand discipline. What you're doing is you're constantly redirecting your kids. If you have little kids, you understand that, Right? Like part of the rod is like, okay, you're running in the street, picking you up and moving you another place, right? Like you're bigger than them, you redirect them. That's part of what it means. And then of course the final meaning is the most controversial, like a little switch or, you know, a a rubber spatula to use modern language. Um, So so the idea is, is a small something implement to give a spanking, right? A small pain, as it says here, they're not gonna die, It's to keep them from going to Sheol. That would be one of the Old Testament words for Hades or death or even hell. Um, Here's the way I would say it. In our own life, uh, we believe that it made more sense for our kids' bottom to sting a little rather than they get run over by a truck. That's, That's kind of the basic exchange, right? And that's, that's what we're talking about. We're not saying you spank your kids all day long every day. We're not saying this is the only tool in your toolkit. We're just saying don't be afraid to use this tool. Use it with great caution. Recognize, yeah, man, if, if your child has been abused or if you've adopted a, you know, a kid or in the foster care program, probably not a good tool to use, right? Or if you've been abused, maybe not, not a good tool for you to use. But all things being equal, if all is good, it's a wise, judicious, good tool in our toolkit to raise our children. Physical training to help them stay on the right track. That's what I'm arguing for. Again, um, if you have questions, please ask me. Don't run off. I hate that church. They're crazy. I'd love to talk to you more about it. Like we could have a conversation. I also want to recommend some books here. I've got several uh, that talk about discipline. Somewhat different perspectives. They would all agree to different degrees that it's a useful tool. Um, Dare to Discipline is an old classic by James Dobson. This is a, an 80s hit that's really good. Um, Making Children Mind Without Losing Yours by Kevin Lehman. He's a Christian psychologist with a good sense of humor. Um, He's kind of a last resort type view on physical discipline, uh, but still would see it being reasonable. Shepherding a child's heart probably encourages the use of it more than these other guys, but also says, you know what? You really need to teach the gospel. You're shepherding their heart. So the way this looked um, in our life was when we would discipline our children, we would say, well, you know what? I I can keep you from running into the street, right? Or I can keep you from beating up your sister. I can physically control you. 
and I will discipline you so that you don't do that anymore, right? Like, I'm going to stop you from doing bad things. You're deputized to do that as a parent, but I'm praying for your heart to change. And again, you want to make sure to distinguish those two things. I'm I'm praying for your heart. I'm praying that God would make you want to do the right thing, but because I love you, I'm going to keep you from doing the wrong thing. And so you're kind of using both of those tools simultaneously at the same time when you raise your kid. Okay, last section. We want to give the grace of purpose. Give the grace of purpose. Um, So uh, it should say verses 27 through 28 there. So it's chapter 3, the end of this chapter. Chapter 3, verses 27 through 28. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. So the idea here is you have this incredible power to bless your neighbor. Are you going to do that? And that is what I would call purpose. We have a purpose to bless and give grace to your neighbor, to your community, to the city. God has designed us, another term for this is vocation. We're, we're built to have purpose. We're built to have vocation, calling. Genesis starts out and says we're, we're made in the image of God. We are made to represent him as kings and queens over creation. Do you see that purpose? Or are you just teaching your kids, hey, kids, the best we can do is, is live for the weekend, make lots of money, have fun, because this world is terrible. Is that what you're teaching your kids? You have to teach them that they have purpose, that they're built for something. As I said earlier, Psalm 127, they are arrows meant to be shot out in the world. Do you see that? Um, one of my favorite illustrations of this is this baby online that fights dragons. I don't know if you've seen this. Um, it's this crazy, I don't know how they do the graphics, but somehow it's like a real baby, but he's doing kung fu in the backyard fighting a, a little uh, dragon character. It is, it's awesome. You've got, you got to check this out. Um, but I use that picture because it it's like a weird, um, what would you call that, juxtaposition, right? A contrast because like the typical baby can't do kung fu, right? But, but spiritually speaking, that's what you're raising your children to do. You're raising your children to, to do battle in the world. You're raising your children to have an impact. This world is crazy. It is full of zombies, but you're raising them to bless others, to take the gifts that God has given them and use them for God's glory and for the good of others. That's what you're raising them to do. Another way this is described is in Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24.10 says, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? He's saying, you have have a responsibility. You're a human being born into this world, made in the image of God. And you have a responsibility to impact others for God's glory, to help others, to serve others. Do you see that? Do you see the gifts and the skills that God has given you as tools that he's given you to impact the world? Or are you stuck in the kind of American consumeristic mindset of, I'm, I'm just here to get by with as little work as possible, right? Anybody ever watched The Office, the great sitcom from the early 2000s? Um, that so characterized this view of like, we don't go to work to work, we go to work to avoid work, Right? So often, that's how, that's how we understand ourselves and the world. No, God's made us to work. God's made us to use our gifts to influence others. And so we don't raise kids just to make a lot of money. Yeah, do you need money to survive? Do you need a job? Yeah, but you raise kids to use 
their gifts to work for others, to serve the community, to impact the world. Do your kids understand their purpose? Back that up. Do you understand your purpose? You might be still on the edge of not really getting that God has a bigger purpose for you than, than just being happy, than just watching Netflix at night, right? There's more to life than that. It's not, it's not wrong to enjoy the weekend. It's not wrong to watch a movie, but there's more than that, right? We have this bigger purpose, this deeper purpose to impact others and to impact the world. So I want to give a final application about, about purpose and how we guide kids in their vocation and their purpose, and then, and then we'll wrap up because I know I'm going a little late. Sorry, I'm rambly today. Um, so final, final application about purpose. Uh, one of the primary ways that we train kids to impact the world is through education. What I want you to understand is that there is no silver bullet, okay? I speak authoritatively. Our family, um, our kids are probably going to have to go to counseling for this, but our family did every possible way you could educate, right? We did a few years of public school, a few years of private school, a few years of homeschool. Like, we did it all, okay? We founded uh, a private school. We were on the board for another private school. We've both been involved in the public school. We've been like PTA parents and substitute teachers. My wife was a teacher's aide for a while. Like, we've been involved in all of it. We've done it all. There is no silver bullet. In the research world, there's this phrase called methodolatry. What that means is you begin to worship the method like an idol instead of focusing on the outcome. The outcome is you as parents are deputized to influence your kids for God's glory, for their good, to have purpose in the world. And there's no perfect way to do that. We have a lot of families here from all these different kinds. Just know the pros and cons of that way of educating and know that it's your job as a parent to come alongside them and supplement what is broken in that system. Because there's something broken in every system, right? Like homeschooling, it's great. It's great to have this influence. It's great to have your kids in, in your home. Great. But you know like you're giving them more of you than anything else. There's a, there's a huge opportunity for spiritual inbreeding. Though. You know, like, like they get more of your sin than anybody else's sin. So how, how are you going to counteract that? You just have to know, what are the weaknesses of this model? Private schooling, what are the weaknesses of the model? Uh, I would say one of the common weaknesses of private schooling is the confusion of um, really loving Jesus with like the culture of a Christian private school, right? That can be kind of fake and confusing to kids and mess with their minds. You have to know that. You have to guide them through that. Public school, right? There's all kinds of paganism. There's all kinds of uh, ungodly stuff your kids are going to be exposed to to and influenced in. One of the dangerous things I think there is that it's called neutrality, but, but it's not neutrality, right? Um, Anti-God is not neutrality. We just have to have that clear in our head, but kids can still thrive there. You have to know what the issues are to come alongside them and, and help them walk with Jesus despite the landmines and, and whatever method you're using to prepare them. And so it's your job to know what those landmines are. It's your job to come alongside them and, and help them to grow and to know their purpose, and to impact the world for God's glory. That's your job. God's deputized you to do that. There's no silver bullet. There's no like one solution where you're like, well, we just figured out if we do this, our kids will turn out perfect. No, <laughs> there's no perfect method. But if you love them and invest in them, if you give grace to them, they're going to thrive. And, and so just to wrap up, uh, one of my favorite Proverbs is, is one that Laura shared during the confession time. It's Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. That's something we've relied on a lot with our kids. We've relied a lot on confession. 
we've relied a lot on saying, I'm sorry, we blew it. And I'd really encourage you to rely on that yourself, to be transparent, to be real. That doesn't, you're not giving up your authority and you're not giving up your leadership when you admit that you messed up and that you need Jesus. But really what you're doing is you're pointing them to Jesus. You're helping them transfer their dependence on you to dependence on Jesus. You're showing them, I need Jesus, you need Jesus. You're being real, you're being transparent. And that's really our goal, to, to give kids the grace that we need ourselves. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your grace to us. We thank you that you've shown us clearly that you love us by giving us Jesus, who died for our sins, who takes away the punishment that we deserve and gives us the grace of resurrection life. And so, Lord, we, we trust in you. Help us to walk with you. Help us to impact the next generation for your glory. God, make us, by your supernatural work, a community of faith where we can pour into spiritual orphans, where we can help the next generation to walk with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.